Welcome to Americana One. This is Ken Paulson, and I'm delighted to be sitting here with Amy Rigby, an artist who I knew in Nashville who has, uh, has created just tremendous albums over the years. I have every single thing she's ever recorded by herself or with her, with her husband, uh, Reckless Eric, and, uh, and to be able to catch up with you here at the 30A Songwriters Festival in, uh, in Greater Fort Walton Beach is a real pleasure. Good to see you. Great to see you, Ken. You have product out there. You have your first solo album uh, in quite some time, and then you've got this very cool memoir, and it's called uh, Girl to City. Girl to City. Is that New York? Yes, the city is New York. Uh, but I was hoping in telling my story about coming of age and traveling to a big city to kind of try to figure out who I was that it would strike a chord with people even if they hadn't actually gone to New York. Um, so, but yeah, my city was New York. And that woman on the front of the cover of your book. That's me. At what age? <laughs> I think I was 18. Wow. I saw that photo and of course I could recognize you. Um, but I was also a little intimidated by that young woman. <laughs> I know, it's so funny because back then I was intimidated by everybody. Um, going to CBGBs and going to see all these bands and just, you know, standing in a club next to uh, Patti Smith or uh, Andy Warhol even, you know, these people terrified me. And now when I look at how I looked back then, I thought, well, I must have looked pretty, pretty scary in a way, or like I knew what I was doing, which I didn't. You look like a, a very pretty and a very, um, confident young woman. Right. It was all, it was all makeup. <laughs> <laughs> that was good makeup. So, the the memoir, why at this stage in your life is that something you wanted to do? Well, it took me a little longer than I thought it would. I got the idea to do it. Well, I've always loved autobiographical writing. Um, I, I loved um, back growing up. I just really was struck by these uh, columns in the magazines my mother would read. Uh, Irma Bombeck's column... Um, Peg Bracken, um, they were women who wrote about just, you know, mundane things in the house, raising kids, and, um, and then I went on to, to discover music, and I loved reading liner notes, looking at stories about musicians that I was interested in, and, um, so a big, a big, uh, inspiration for me always was Ian Hunter's Diary of a Rock and Roll Star. I felt like that was the first hint that I had that being a musician was not always this glamorous, epic thing. He talked about really everyday concerns and, and, uh, and, and that really intrigued me. And I, so anyway, it took me a while to think that I could do something. You know, I had to first have a music career, <laughs> have something that I could <laughs> live a life and have something I could write about. But um, 
I started this book like 10 years ago, and that was after thinking about it for 10 years. So It's great to hear you mention Ian Hunter. He's still out there, and he's still great. I, I played at his 80th birthday uh, this past summer. Um, he did... I think he did four gigs in New York City, and, and I opened one of the shows. Oh, that's and um, and it's, he's such a hero of mine, and he just never stops being inspiring, never stops putting on a great show, and writing. He keeps writing great songs. I, I agree. Is um, So you went from being somebody who happened to read his book to being inside the circle. Isn't that amazing? I mean, some sometimes I do have to to pinch myself and, and think, you know, it, it, it is kind of like a fantasy in a way, but, but like a lot more down to earth and, right. and, and every day than, than I probably would have, I, I, I would have been sipping champagne and wearing a mink, you know, a big <laughs> mink coat or something in my, in my fantasy. There's still time, Amy. <laughs> so, so I'm fascinated by the commitment you make to tell your young life story and share it with total strangers. Was there any self-discovery as you wrote that book, stories that emerged, insights that emerged, things that you may even suppress that came back to you? Absolutely. I think, I mean, I would recommend it to, to anybody to write about your life if, 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 it, if it at all appeals to a person because, um, you know, I would write in scenes, I would be, for example, describing a scene where um, my father comes to see me play, and um, it's it's I'm playing in Pittsburgh where I grew up, and I'm telling uh, the audience that I'm performing at Lilith Fair the next day, and how um, I just looked at the schedule in the newspaper, and it said that I was playing at 1 p.m. and that the gates were opening at like 1.30 or something. <laughs> I don't know, just something really kind of like why it just felt awful and I started cursing. And and so anyway, my dad was there and I felt really embarrassed after like, oh, you know, he heard me swearing. And then so like I'm standing at my merchandise table selling some records and... Um, and, you know, I see my dad approaching and I think, oh, he's going to give me a hard time because, you know, he probably doesn't approve of this anyway. And here I'm just like cursing and being really unhappy and disgruntled. And, and then I heard him say to someone effing Lilith Fair, they should treat Amy better than that. <laughs> and, and But honestly, it wasn't until I wrote this scene um, and I just like broke down crying because I realized as I was writing this that my dad really, even though I didn't always feel this way, he really b did stand up for me and, and, and he, he wanted me to do well and he believed in me. And um, so things like that, I, I think, only come about through, through writing about them and sort of reliving them and you put them in perspective um, it, it, it really was a great experience for me. I, I thought even if no one read it, I, it would have been worthwhile. I, um, I, one of the many things to admire about your career is that you've stuck with it. <laughs> it, it you know, you, you were 
with Diary of a Mod Housewife, what year would that have been? 96. So 96, you know, it's impossible. You got to a place where so many artists never have gotten to an album that was critically acclaimed, sold a fair share of, of records on a major label. And, uh, and that was how we used to distinguish between singers in your local bar and real entertainers. And you, even though you never had uh, the Michael Jackson triple platinum experience, <laughs> you stayed with it. You Well, I'd already been in bands and stuff for 13 years before that. So that's part of what my book is about, is that just all, the, all that kind of time of trying to make something happen. And so thanks. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I would, even today, I mean... There's got to be difficult moments when you're 38 years old and you've done this half your life or more and maybe you're not where you want to be. What kept you on the road and creating music? Um, I think I just kept getting better. Um, I guess, you know, not, not to, you know, be tooting my own horn or whatever, but um, it's amazing how when you when you're younger and starting out and you're having all these opportunities and, and you've got that drive and you've got that energy. Um, but I, I, I still feel like songs I was writing on Mod Housewife and I, I think they're fueled by um, just a, a desire to communicate what I was going through and what I was experiencing um, I don't think, I think I got better with my writing um, as time, you know, went by. Um, I think the, that record is still great for its rawness and stuff, but, but I feel like as, as a writer and as a performer, I just got way, way better, and I keep getting better. And so, I don't know, there's, I guess that's it. So it's a path, really, of an author or a poet as opposed to a professional baseball player. Ma who gets to 28 and then is in decline. I, I guess it, it's true, and you don't expect that. I remember back when I was putting out Mod Housewife, and I was, like, in my mid-30s, well, 37 I was, and just thinking, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I must be past it. This is, like, late, late <laughs> for someone to come out with a, a, a debut solo album. And at the time, someone like Neil Young, I remember there was a, a Rolling Stone article, or maybe it was even a cover story, like, Neil Young is 50, you know, <laughs> and basically just this this moment where the those, those rock pioneers, or not really pioneers, but right. those those classic rock uh, heroes that we all look up to were... were we're even kind of a little getting into later middle age and it just seemed like well what's going to happen now it had <laughs> never been seen before it hadn't that we hadn't had that experience yet with with right. with those kind of artists and so and now they're in their 70s right. and and in the case of Ian Hunter 80 and it it seems like gosh we're lucky that they get to that age you know Prince didn't, David Bowie didn't, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, Joe Strummer was 50 when he died. So um, it just seems like as long as you can keep going. 
there's an energy to rock and roll and a rebellion to rock and roll. And I, I love the fact that an 80-year-old man can continue to embody both of those things. I think so. I mean, there's plenty to be mad about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to I wanna play a, a song from the brand new album, your first in 12 years as a solo record, I believe. Um, and uh, the new album has a song that goes back to your origins, uh, Playing in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Tell me about that song. Um, just inspired by one of my shows, going back to my hometown and just feeling like, well, I wish they would celebrate me. And well, my husband says, well, why should they? You left. So, but I always expect, you know, that, that, that somehow it's going to be, um, yeah, just, just some sort of acknowledgement, um, that I came from there and that I've created something that's worthwhile, but then I always end up kind of disgruntled and pissed off and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and, and typically, you know, I recorded this song and, and thought, and it's bound to be a huge hit in Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, of course, I don't know if that's ever happened, but. Well, here's playing in Pittsburgh from Old Guys, the new Amy Rigby album. I used to dream That was playing in Pittsburgh, a bit of autobiographical music uh, from Amy Rigby with a terrific new album. And, you know, I, I was struck on this album, and maybe it's Reckless Eric's involvement, your husband. Um, sonically, it sounds distinctly different from your earlier work. There's a lot going on on this record. Eric is an interesting producer. Um, he's more like a painter, I think when he works in the studio, which is one of the benefits of having a studio in your home. I don't want to demean it by calling it a home studio because it's, it's got as much going on as, as, as any other studio, but, but you don't have, you're not paying an hourly rate that you have to kind of clock in, clock out. So there's time to step back. And I think that's what a painter does. And that's what he does with with um, producing, and uh, and I and I like it too. I get, I get to hear things go by a lot more than I than I would if I was just kind of trying to get things done in in, in sort of hourly sessions. And um, so I, I think it things got to go through some more stages and phases than. Than they than they might have on other records I've made and has more of a layer a layered aspect to it. I may be overanalyzing this, but it strikes me that throughout your body of work there is an irreverence, um, there's romance, there's sex, or in, and sometimes one song no sex for too long. <laughs> um, you're just a charm and a vulnerability and. Um, I, I think I hear a lot of gratitude on this new record. 
Like Bob is an example of that. I think the record was fueled by writing my memoir and also getting older, but that, that gratitude definitely came about from writing about uh, things that I, I think probably when I started writing about my life, I thought uh, I, I felt different about it than when I finished. And I, I felt like, wow, maybe I haven't achieved some of the things I would really have liked to. And, you know, of course, I, maybe I delude myself in thinking it's still possible, you know, that I'll be playing in big theaters. And, you know, I, I mean, who knows? But, um, but, I, but I think I was able to see it differently and go, it's, it, it's been really interesting and rich kind of life, you know, um, all the experiences of playing. And it just seemed like it added up to more than I thought it did. And so I think um, in writing the songs for the record, I kind of, that, that comes through, I think, in the songwriting. What what song do you particularly take pride in on the new album? Um, well, you know, I don't want to say all of them, but I do I do like a lot of them for different reasons. But I love playing the old guys. Uh, it's one of those songs. Maybe I don't even know what the lyrics even mean. It's more impressionistic than I usually write, but. There's something in the in just the in the feeling of it that I just always I love to hear it and it's one of those songs where the instrumental part at the end goes on and on and you know maybe maybe this is just me but I think it could go on much longer I never get tired of it it just kind of goes somewhere and and I feel I feel proud proud about that and you know a lot of it is is Eric too and and our and our playing together um I just feel like we really came to something with 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 the playing in it that means a lot to me because I, I people know me for my lyrics but I've I, I love playing guitar I think my guitar playing really came on with that record and so I've yeah, I think it's just that general, the, just the musical vibe that's there that you didn't, you wouldn't have to even understand English to get it. Let's hear that. Um, I, I was struck by it because I thought to myself, as somebody who's getting precariously close to being an old guy, how I hear it differently than if I'd been 30 years old and heard the song. It was, it was it almost felt, felt anthemic to me. That's great. Which that's, was, that's perfect. Which was a positive. Here, here's the old guys. We are uh, enjoying our conversation today with Amy Rigby, who has both a, a striking new memoir with a striking cover photo. 
we need a poster of that image <laughs> and uh and a, and a terrific new album which i happen to have on vinyl and i'm proud of that i think that's the first time i've had a chance to buy vinyl although was was mod housewife also put out on vinyl i did put that out on vinyl uh in 2016 it had never come out on vinyl and it actually fit really nicely onto side a and side b so that's great <laughs> so um i'm going to quote a famous literary journal in, in in commenting about your book um you may know it as the amazon comment section uh somebody <laughs> somebody gave you five stars and said or four stars whatever the max is and said, this is a compelling story of a woman who spends her life striving to be accepted as a woman, as a musician, as an artist. Any truth in that? Well, probably the largest part of that acceptance is self-acceptance. I think, you know, other people were always very generous and and interested in things that I did, but I've always had a hard time believing that um, that I was worthwhile or um, had had the right or earned that attention. Um, so I think it's, yeah, I think that that's... Is there a point in your life where you think you'll understand that that's ridiculous, that you are highly accomplished and your self-worth is evident? Probably not, because I grew up Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> One other commenter on Amazon. I, I was just struck by the literacy and insight of the people who commented on your book. Oh, I don't, know if, I don't I have, know if you... No, I, I shy away from reading <laughs> Oh, that. go I'm look afraid. at it. It'll, it'll, it'll read it right now. Your self-worth issues are over. <laughs> um, but they were just saying they're so eager for a memoir, uh, Girl to Country, talking about Nashville, and I think... I don't, I don't think it was girl to upstate New York, but I got the gist of it. They felt like there was so much more to be told. No, definitely. Will we see another book? You will, because I, I had, for this one, I had started writing a bit about going to, when I began visiting Nashville and trying to send stuff to publishers in Nashville. And um, I, I, but then I really wanted to kind of wrap it up with New York and, I thought that'll make that'll make a good next story because uh, leaving New York was a big thing for me, and um, and going to Nashville was a whole other phase of my life. And so even though I kind of I mention it in passing towards the end and kind of sum things up a little, um, I would love to get into it more. I think even though. At the time when I came to Nashville, I thought, oh, you know, Waylon Jennings is dead. Roger Miller's gone. The people, the heroes, you know, um, you know, Johnny Cash wasn't long till he was gone. But, you know, the people that really brought me there just by, by me just loving what they did and being intrigued by it, um, thinking, oh, that's all over. But it was really kind of a, a good in-between period in Nashville that I think, look, look, I look back now, the early 2000s, um, well, I think of it as before Jack White moved to Nashville. Not to say, you know, I mean, I think it's great what he does, um, but it, that brought a whole different kind of attention to the place. But 
there was that little period between when they shut down the massage parlors and Jack White moved to town where it was just a, it was a little bit of a, a free-for-all. Someone like me could still get a publishing deal. It was a charming time and a charming place. And I was grateful to have spent uh, that part of the Amy, <laughs> Amy years uh, in Nashville uh, getting to know you. Uh, it's obvious I'm a fan, but I'm also uh, a knowledgeable fan who thinks what you do is absolutely unique. Uh, and uh, in a world in which so many people emulate each other, your art has been distinctive, and I, I deeply appreciate that. At 80, are you going to pull a knee in Hunter and be out there riding and rocking? Well, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I guess I just don't know what else I'll do, except maybe sometimes I think I could be like a seaside painter, just sitting there, you know, with a little easel, like next to some really beautiful scene. And, um, but, but I, I think, um, you know, I'll just keep, keep going as long as it feels like I have something to write about and talk about and I still love playing guitar and still like playing for people. That's great. Well, we're going to count on that. If you're listening and it's the only way I could communicate with you, uh, go out, buy the book and then listen to the album while you're reading the book. Delighted to have Amy Rigby here on Americana One. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ken. Our thanks to Erica Nalo for her always sterling production and to Dave Paulson for writing the theme music. This is Americana One. <laughs>